Chapter Fifteen of the Diamond Master by Jacques Futrell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen: The Truth in Part. The chief dropped back into his chair with the utmost complacency. This was not the kind of man with whom mere bluster counted. Haney says Saturday morning. He answered. The coroner's physician agrees with that. Yesterday morning, Mister Wynne mused. Then, after a moment, I think, Chief, you know Mister Burns here, and that you would accept a statement of his as correct. Yes, the chief agreed with a glance at Mister Burns. Mister Burns, where was I all day Saturday? Mister Wynne queried without so much as looking around at him. You were in your house from eleven o'clock Friday night until fifteen minutes of nine o'clock Saturday morning. Was the response. You left there at that time and took the surface car at Thirty-fourth Street to your office. You left your office at five minutes of one, took luncheon alone at the Savarin, and returned to your office at two o'clock. You remained there until five or a few minutes past, then returned home. At eight, you. Is that sufficient? Interrupted Mister Wynne. Does that constitute an alibi? Yes, he admitted. But how do you know all this, Burns? Mister Burns and the men of his agency have favored me with the almost persistent attentions during the last few days. Mister Wynne continued promptly. He has had two men constantly on watch at my office day and night, and two others constantly on watch at my home day and night. There are two there now: one in the rear room of the basement, and another in the pantry with the doors locked on the outside. Their names are Claflin and Sutton. So that was it. It came home to Mister Burns suddenly. Claflin and Sutton had been tricked into the house on some pretext, had locked in. Confound their stupidity! Why are they locked up? Demanded the chief with kindling interest. Why have you been watched? I think perhaps Mister Burns will agree with me. When I say that that has nothing whatever to do with this crime," replied Mister Wynne easily. "That's for me to decide," declared the chief bluntly. There was a long pause. Mister Zenki was leaning forward in his chair, gripping the arms fiercely, with his lips pressed into a thin line. It was only by a supreme effort that he held himself in control, and the lean, scarred face was working strangely. Well, if you insist on knowing," observed Mister Wynne slowly, "I suppose I'll have to tell all of it. In the first place, don't. It came finally, the one word from Mister Zenki's half-closed lips, a smothered explosion which drew every eye upon him. Mister Wynne turned slightly in his chair and regarded the diamond expert with an expression of astonishment on his face. The beady black eyes were all aglitter with the effort of repression, and some intangible message flashed in them. In the first place, resumed Mister Wynne, as if there had been no interruption, Mister Kellner here. Don't! The expert burst out again desperately. Don't! It means ruin, absolute ruin. Mister Kellner had those diamonds, about sixty thousand dollars worth of them. Mister Wynne continued distinctly. Mister Kellner decided to sell some diamonds. 
one of the quickest and most satisfactory methods of selling rough gems, such as those you have in your hand, chief, is to offer them directly to the men who deal in them. I went to Mr. Henry Latham, and other jewelers of New York, on behalf of Mr. Kellner, and offered them a quantity of diamonds. It may be that they regarded the quantity I offered as unusual, that I don't know, but I would venture the conjecture that they did. He paused a moment, Mr. Zenke's face again growing expressionless, was turned toward the light of the window. Chief Arkwright was studying it shrewdly. "'Diamond merchants, of course, have to be careful,' the young man went on smoothly. "'They can't afford to buy whatever is offered by people whom they don't know. "'They had reason, too, to believe that I was not acting for myself alone. "'What was more natural, therefore, than that they should have called in Mr. Burns "'and the men of his agency to find out about me, and, if possible, "'to find out whom I represented, so they might locate the supply?' I wouldn't tell them, because it was not desirable that they should deal directly with Mr. Kellner, who was old and childish and lacking, perhaps, in appreciation of the real value of diamonds. The result of all this was that the diamond dealers placed me under strict surveillance. My house was watched, my office was watched. My mail going and coming was subjected to scrutiny, my telephone calls were traced, telegrams opened and read. I had anticipated all this, of course, and was in communication with Mr. Kellner here only by carrier pigeons. He glanced meaningly at Mr. Burns, who was utterly absorbed in the recital. Those carrier pigeons were not exchanged by express, because the records would have furnished a clue to Mr. Burns' men. I personally took them back and forth in a suitcase before I approached Mr. Latham with the original proposition. He was giving categorical answers to a few of the multitude of questions to which Mr. Burns had been seeking answers. The tense expression about Mr. Zanke's eyes was dissipated, and he sighed a little. "'I saw the Red Haney affair in the newspapers this morning, as you will know,' he continued after a moment. "'It was desirable that I should come out here with Miss Kellner, but it was not desirable, even under those circumstances,' that I should permit myself to be followed. That's how it happens that Mr. Claflin and Mr. Sutton are now locked up in my house. Again there was a pause. Mr. Burns, I know, will be glad to confirm my statement of the case, in so far as his instructions from Mr. Latham and the other gentlemen interested bear on it. Chief Arkwright glanced at the detective inquiringly. That's right, Mr. Burns admitted with an uncertain nod. "'that is, so far as my instructions go. "'I understood, though, that the diamonds were worth more than sixty thousand dollars. "'In fact, that there might have been a million dollars worth of diamonds.' "'A million dollars!' repeated Chief Arkwright in amazement. "'A million dollars!' he repeated. "'He turned fiercely upon Mr. Wynne. "'What about that?' he demanded. "'I'm sure I don't know what Mr. Burns understood,' replied the young man with marked emphasis. But it's preposterous on the face of it, isn't it? Would a man with a million dollars' worth of diamonds live in a hovel like this? The chief considered the matter reflectively for a minute or more, the while his keen eyes alternately searched the faces of Mr. Wynne and Mr. Zanke. 
"'It would depend on the man, of course,' he said at last. "'Then some new idea was born within him. "'Your direct connection with the crime seems to be disproved, Mr. Wynne,' he remarked slowly. "'And if we admit his innocence,' he jerked a thumb at the expert, "'there remains yet another viewpoint. Do you see it?' The young man turned upon him quickly. "'Does it occur to you that every argument I advance "'to furnish you with a motive for the crime "'might well be applied with equal weight against Miss Kellner?' "'Doris!' flamed Mr. Wynne. "'For the first time his perfect self-possession deserted him, "'and he came to his feet with gripping hands. "'Why, why, what are you talking about?' "'Sit down,' advised the chief quietly.' Mr. Zenke glanced at them once uneasily, then resumed his fixed stare out of the window. "'Sit down,' said the chief again. Mr. Wynne glared at him for an instant, then dropped back into his chair. His hands were clenched desperately, and a slight flush in his clean-cut face showed the fight he was making to restrain himself. All the property this old man owned, including the diamonds, would become her property in the event of his death. Or murder, the chief added mercilessly. That's true, isn't it? But when she entered this room, her every act testified to her innocence, Mr. Wynne burst out passionately. The chief shrugged his shoulders. She has been living in a little hotel in Irving Place, the young man rushed on. The people there can satisfy you as to her whereabouts on Saturday. Again the chief shrugged his shoulders. "'And remember, please, that the best answer to all that is that Haney had the diamonds.' "'It doesn't necessarily follow, Mr. Wynne,' said the other steadily, "'that she committed the crime with her own hands. "'It comes down simply to this. "'If there were only sixty thousand dollars' worth of diamonds, "'then the one motive which Zenki might have had is eliminated.' because Haney had practically fifty thousand dollars' worth of them, and here are some others. There would have been no share for your expert here. And again, if there were only sixty thousand dollars' worth of the diamonds, you or Miss Kellner would have been the only persons to benefit by his death. But Haney had those, protested Mr. Wynne. Just what I'm saying, agreed the other complacently. Therefore, there were more than sixty thousand dollars' worth. However we look at it, whoever may have been Haney's accomplice, that point seems settled. Or else Haney lied, declared Mr. Wynne flatly. If Haney came here alone, killed this old man, and stole the diamonds, there would be none of these questions, would there? Mr. Burns, who had listened silently, arose suddenly and left the room. Mr. Wynne's last suggestion awakened a new train of thought in the police official's mind, and he considered it silently for a moment. Finally he shook his head. The fact remains, he said, as if reassuring himself, that Haney described an accomplice, and that that description fits Zenki perfectly, that Zenki has refused to defend himself or even make a denial, that he has drawn suspicion upon himself by everything he has done and said since he has been here, even by the strange manner of his appearance at this house. Therefore there were more diamonds, and he got his share of them. "'Hello,' came in Mr. Burns' voice from the hall. 
Give me 21845 River, New York. Yes. Is Mr. Latham there? Yes, Henry Latham. Again Mr. Wynne's self-possession forsook him, and he came to his feet, evidently with the intention of interrupting that conversation. He started forward with gritting teeth, and simultaneously Chief Arkwright, Detective Sergeant Conley, and Mr. Zenke laid restraining hands upon him. Something in the expert's grip on his wrist caused him to stop and cease a futile struggle. Then came a singular expression of resignation about the mouth, and he sat down again. "'Hello? This Mr. Latham? This is Detective Burns. I have been able to locate some diamonds, but it's necessary to know something of the quantity of those you mentioned. You remember Mr. Schultz said something about—' Yes. Yes. Oh, there were. Unexpected developments? Yes. I'll call and see you tonight about eight. Yes. Goodbye. Mr. Burns re-entered the room, his face aglow with triumph. Mr. Wynne glanced almost hopelessly at Mr. Zanke, then turned again to the detective. "'I should say there were more than sixty thousand dollars worth of them,' Mr. Burns blurted. "'There were at least a million dollars worth.' "'Mr. Schultz intimated as much to me. "'Now Mr. Latham confirms it.' "'Chief Arkwright turned and glared scowlingly upon the diamond expert. "'His beady black eyes were alight with some emotion which he failed to read. "'Where are they, Zenke?' demanded the chief harshly. I have nothing to say, replied Mr. Zenke softly. So your disappearance Friday night, and your absence all day yesterday, did have to do with this old man's death, said the chief, directly accusing him. I have nothing to say, murmured Mr. Zenke. That settles it, gentlemen, declared the chief with an air of finality. Zenke, I charge you with the murder of Mr. Kellner here. Anything you may say will be used against you. Come along now. Don't make any trouble. End of chapter 15